After these messages, we'll be right back. I can't believe I ate that whole thing. Are you in good hands? And now, a word from our sponsors. Hey everybody, welcome to After These Messages, bringing you hot takes on commercial breaks. We are talking about TV commercials here today, the good ones, the bad ones, and the ones where Mike Bloomberg says weird shit like this. Mm, big gay ice cream is the best. My name is Andrew Walsh. I'm here with Genevieve Hez. Hey, Veeves. Hi, Andrew. That's what we're doing today. We're digging into the weird, wonderful world of Mike Bloomberg's yes. ad blitz. We, too, have been bought by Big Bloomberg. Oh, my gosh. So, I don't know how, if you are plugged into any media at all. I think you know this, but I just can't think of a better word than blitz. Bloomberg has just just painted every media outlet with commercials. I mean, just out buying any other candidate. There, uh, there is no platform or ad too big, no, no, no ad buy too big, no ad buy too small. He had a Super Bowl ad. If, uh, any, if you are on any social media platform, you have surely seen a Bloomberg ad there too. And there is a writer uh, for Slate named Justin Peters, who watched 185 of these Bloomberg ads. Now, they're not all TV ads. A lot of them are videos that appear on social media, like Facebook, Twitter. I guess you know what social media is. Um, and he watched 185 of these things. And Took then, him two weeks. And then ranked them. And then ranked them. So we are going to have him on the show in a little bit to talk about what his experience was like watching all of these things and what he thinks are some of the most bizarre things and what... If anything, the campaign is trying to do like what is the central theme here? If there's a central theme, yeah, and, which, ha and how well is it accomplishing its right. goal? Yes, exactly. So uh, his name is Justin Peters, and he'll be joining us on the line in just a second. Plus, we're going to check in with you guys, the Ad Council. We will um, finally get to that update on <laughs> on Roger Teeter, inventor of. The Teeter. We had some follow-up <laughs> questions about whether or not he created the device simply because his name is Teeter. And uh, turns out one of our uh, listeners knows him personally. They are, I think they go to the same church together. And so uh, that listener has some answers for us. So uh, we'll get into all that. Let's start with this Bloomberg Blitz. Important show. That's important. The show. unofficial lyrics. <laughs> important show. This you, is a very important show. You ended up watching all of the West Wing, right? I don't think I. No, I gave up. Did you? Yeah, but uh, during the period that you and I were trying to watch them all, uh, whenever this song would come out, we just sing "Important Show" over yeah. top of it because this is the sound of an important show. All right. As I said before, the article is called I Watched 185 Mike Bloomberg Ads and Figured Out What This Weird, Expensive, Suddenly Ubiquitous Campaign Is Trying to Do. That's a long headline. It's by Slate's Justin Peters, and he's on the line with us now. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Of course. Seems like you are kind of... We kind of share a beat. As I was looking at your bylines, you've done a lot of stuff on Super Bowl commercials and uh, that type of stuff for Slate. Yeah, uh, I'm basically the guy they call up when, you know, they want someone to mainline basically insipid television coverage, <laughs> um, and they're, they're like, "I'll put Peters on it," and that is how I spent the past two weeks of my life uh, tracking down, watching, and making notes on literally every single commercial that the very busy Mike Bloomberg campaign for president has released since mid-November. 185 of these things. Can I start by asking you the question that I see a lot of people are asking you on Twitter, which is, are you okay? How you feeling, buddy? You know, I, I had a glass of wine before I came on the show, so I'm feeling <laughs> a little bit better right now. Um, as I said in my piece, like, it's an effect that's sort of similar to brainwashing. You go into this thing, a blank slate, thinking Michael Bloomberg, the cranky old, like, multi-billionaire who... You know, was the stop-and-frisk guy and the guy who sold New York to basically the highest bidder. 185 commercials later, you're like, ah, you know, funny Mike. You know, <laughs> this guy likes ice cream. You know, he'd probably do a good job. So I've been trying to sort of deprogram myself over the next couple <laughs> of days as best I can. 
that's what struck struck me about these. I did not watch all 185 of them because I I didn't have either the time or the fortitude. But I was struck by how there is something here for everyone. It's I almost feel like if I plugged my data into some algorithm somewhere, they would churn out a commercial that's specifically for me personally. I'm sure that's what is going on in no small part. I mean, Bloomberg is literally the data guy. That's how he made $61 billion, by being the foremost provider of like very granular data to, uh, to traders. So if he doesn't have uh, sort of very specific uh, metrics that are guiding his, you know, very broad ad campaign here. I'd be shocked. That'd be the shock of uh, the year. He knows exactly who he's going for, and it's literally everybody in like very small uh, affinity groups. You wrote that he at one point was spending a million dollars a day on ads, and was that just a million dollars a day on online ads? That's just Facebook. Jeez, Louise! It's and literally just Facebook. I mean, to, to put this in perspective. Uh, his campaign started in mid-November. Uh, uh, by the time of the Super Bowl, uh, which was uh, two and a half months, uh, he spent $300 million, if not more, on advertising You know, all across the board. By the time Super Tuesday hits, uh, which is not very far away, he plans to spend at least $300 million more. That's $600 million, which... Though less than 1% of Mike Bloomberg's net worth, it is literally nine times as much money as the Democratic National Committee raised in all of calendar year 2019. So he is sort of outdoing literally everyone while spending what to him is the equivalent of you or I buying a MacBook. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, okay, I want to kind of get into the, the overall effect of these campaigns that he's running in a little bit, but let's just start by, because, I mean, you ranked these. You literally ranked them from, I guess, from I best to it, it's worst. It's a real ranking. Like, I literally watched all of them and, like, thought very hard. It's like, oh, is this 66 or 67? Yeah. <laughs> i got to watch it again. <laughs> That's very much how my brain works as well. I would get like very literal in doing something like this. And of course, you start with the best and then you start making up your own categories. You have the categories in the middle, 23 ads that make my face numb. You also have, uh, I believe there is a category that Slate should have to pay for, for my mental health care for these 10 commercials yeah. or what have you. <laughs> um, so instead of just going in order, because we're not going to be covering 185 of these, um, what, not best, not worst, but what were some of the most just kind of bizarre ones? Uh, well, I'll, you know, direct everyone's attention to ad number 79. It's <laughs> called Is Something Burning? Uh, yes. Basically what the Bloomberg social media team is obsessed with is juxtaposing footage of Donald Trump saying asinine things with sort of a little animation of a gingerbread man doing the twist as its feet catch on fire. And this is not just one or two ads. Like, there's at least six or seven of these ads um, with this little gingerbread man who just will pop up. Like, sometimes he's, like, full length. Sometimes he sits on Trump's shoulder as if, like, the traditional angel-devil-like character in the movies. Um, and it makes no sense to me. But the crazy thing is it clearly makes sense to someone out there because <laughs> they surely have data that, like, they got to get the gingerbread man voter. There's and so much. This is like getting those 17 people. There's so much gingerbread man in these in this whole raft of ads that it's arguably more gingerbread man than Mike Bloomberg <laughs> because it's, so much of it's just about how what how horrible Trump is and the gingerbread man, like, you know, catching on fire or dunking on him or whatever that, like, <laughs> At the end, I'm sort of, I'm a little bit inclined to vote for Gingerbread Man. <laughs> He's a more appealing candidate. He smiles. He's not as wooden, <laughs> truthfully. He's delicious. I seriously hate to do this to our listeners, but we try to play uh, sound whenever possible. So, unfortunately, this is just going to sound like a montage of Trump talking, but I want everybody to imagine. So, kind of picture, I don't know if this Gingerbread Man is the intellectual property of the Bloomberg campaign or if it's just a filter <laughs> on Instagram, but if you can just sort of picture the vibe of the dancing hot dog that you can use in Instagram stories. Picture that, but instead a gingerbread man whose feet are on fire. We'll always pr 
protect patients with pre-existing conditions. I think we've been the most transparent there he is. in the history of our country. There's a bunch of facts uh, on the screen via text, and they're uh, checking the facts. This, I mean, the gingerbread has moves, right? Like, we can all agree. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a saucy little dance. Sort of. It's like kind of like flossing a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So you don't have any background on gingerbread man, do you? I mean, you've done a lot for this, so I'm not trying to put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I drew the line. Like, my editors are like, we've got to get more gingerbread man. I'm like, no. <laughs> Double my salary. No, I am not doing a deep dive. On, on gingerbread man. Um, I respect that. Uh, it's a good question, though. Like, I honestly think, and, and the truth here is that Bloomberg is spending so much money that um, you know he's got presumably so many people working for him that it's just one big sort of yes, yeah. like in his entire shop. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sure there's someone out there who's like, you know how to be funny and get attention? Let's put a random cookie like juxtaposed with this footage of Trump. <laughs> saying uh, things. And you know what? Here we are talking about it on a podcast. So the joke is on us, I suppose. Yeah, no, I mean, I didn't think about this. I mean, we're kind of, I mean, we're, we're giving him a lot of that earned media that he was getting these past couple of weeks because of this media dump. And even Bloomberg can't buy the kind of coverage that being on After These Messages <laughs> yeah, no, that will is, get him. <laughs> that is true. Um, He's going to send him over the top. Oh, yeah. Really? Are there any, because well, maybe we should play a couple more of these that are like intentionally weird, right? Like this, these are people on his campaign who are, uh, internet savvy and they're like gonna, oh yeah this will be real internet and it'll yeah. go viral because it's awkward or it doesn't even have to go viral I, I get the sense that they're just they can just throw round after round after round at the wall and one in a million can stick and it can still be I guess worth it mm-hmm. were there any in the batch though that you think were unintentionally weird ooh that's a good question um, I mean Unintentionally, there's one that, you know, has, you know, it really confuses me. I'm not sure why it exists. I might have, like, viewed it by accident. Maybe it's part of some, like, there's, yeah, anyway, it is literally just a five-second looping clip of, like, still images of, like, Michael Bloomberg walking around, um... Korea town in Los Angeles. Yes, oh. that one. It's we- soundless. It's wordless. It is hypnotic. Yes. Right? I literally watched it on a loop for seven minutes. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why it exists. I don't know why I watch it. This assignment made me question a lot of things. I used to live. We used to live in Koreatown, actually, and weirdly, that one spoke to me. <laughs> so I guess that's the one they for have, me. They really are just dialing it in. Uh, I want to play another one here. Uh, this is a uh, this is one a lot of people are probably familiar with it. It's called Big Gay Ice Cream. It's about uh, ten, it's just ten seconds long. I assume this is just social media only. Can you give us a little bit bit of background here as to what's going on in this? Yeah, exactly. So um, you know, as I say in the piece, like I feel like there's a concerted effort on Bloomberg's team's part to create this image around Mike Bloomberg, who, to be clear, one of the wealthiest men in human history. Like, this man, as mayor of New York, would jet off to Bermuda every single weekend. Like, he he wears expensive purple sweaters. He is not a weird, self-aware, like, viral Internet hero. Mm -hmm. And yet, through these series of spots where they put Bloomberg you know, against a wall in his campaign headquarters and have him issue these wooden testimonials for various foodstuffs or holidays. They are clearly trying to portray him as like this uh, meme-worthy figure of fun. And like the clear point is to soften this guy's sort of like round, uh, soften this guy's sharp edges and to get the youth vote to, you know, go for this, like Mr. Burns style character and like that big gay ice cream spot is a a classic example of that. And so big gay ice cream is a, a, is it kind of a beloved New York ice cream shop? Yeah. I mean, it's fine. They have ice cream. Like there's like (laughs) 1400 like ice cream shops here and like they all use like whole milk and, you know, like don't have preservatives and cost $7 for a small cup of vanilla. Like it's fine. Like, you know, I, 
I do not actually believe that Mike loved big gay ice cream, like as the title like says. But it's a place, you know. It, <laughs> it, would, be know. Re- like, it would be recognizable it's... to New Yorkers. Yeah, recognizable to New Yorkers. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so in this ad, again, it's 10 seconds long. He's just standing like in, you know, some sort of campaign room somewhere. Like it looks like they're newsroom or something along those lines and he's just staring at the camera and he says where's my ice cream then somebody off camera hands him a little cup of ice cream he takes a very awkward bite of it with a spoon he doesn't do anything normal yeah unless we specify otherwise just assume that he's doing it in a wooden or awkward way now at this point he is not grabbing a dog's nose So it's relatively normal. He's not trying to shake its mouth. Yeah, more on that in a second. Let's take a listen. Where's my ice cream? Ah, thank you. (laughs) Mmm. Big gay ice cream is the best. (laughs) That's it. That's that's your 10-second ad. straight out of Tim and Eric for me. It really is. And I'm falling. I mean, Justin, I did not watch 185 of these things like you did. But you already kind of hinted at this. I was going to ask you at the end of our conversation, like, how much of an effect did this have on you? Did you soften towards him? Did you harden toward, did your ideas, like, kind of harden toward him as a presidential candidate? I find myself, the more I do prep on this interview and in watching these things, I find myself reluctantly softening. And, like, I want to correct myself. Well, that's exactly right. It's a reluctant softening. You know, like, um, I, I, I live in New York. Like, I lived here when Bloomberg was mayor. This is the man who enjoyed being mayor so much that once his, you know, statutory limited uh, second term was over, was like, no, I don't want to leave. I want to have a third term as mayor. And he had the resources to sort of literally change the law to get himself like a third term. This man is like the definition of like the privilege of plutocracy. And yet watching all of these ads, uh, and like there were more than 185 that I watched. Like a lot of the ads, you know, that didn't make the cut in this ranking were just redundancies and, um, you know, stuff that it wasn't even, uh, I don't know. The, the point is I watched a lot of them and I feel much more kindly toward Michael Bloomberg now than I want to or ever thought I would. Yes. It's not that I'm like super comfortable boarding the Bloomberg train per se, but like I would buy a ticket if it were the only train that were going the place that I needed to go. And honestly, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's what he's going for. Yeah. And the Democrats aren't helping themselves by having everything. I mean, how lucky did this guy get, right? With the, with the I mean, primary yeah, I mean, so far. He would not have entered the race if every other moderate in the race didn't seem so sort of uh, – it didn't seem like a stretch to see them, you know, seeing a long campaign through against Donald Trump. Um, he is, the again, one of the richest men in human history, and um, this ad campaign is him – frankly, just redefining what running for the presidency is like he is now putting the appropriate value on what, you know, being a president like should cost like he spent 600. He's going to spend six hundred million dollars by like mid-March. If he gets a nomination, he will like spend like much, much more than that. And these one hundred and eighty five ads that I've watched like right now will just, you know, there will be thousands more of them by the time this is all said and done. I guess, I mean, it's funny, Genevieve and I have been hosting a podcast about commercials for, I don't, I don't know, four, going on five years now or something, and as I'm watching these and my emotions towards this guy seem to be changing, at least in the moment, um, I can't, I keep, <laughs> Genevieve, you'll know this, like, you know that scene in The Jerk where Bernadette Peters says, oh my gosh, this shit really works. That's why I keep on thinking about commercials. Yeah. It's like we're all, like the three of us are pretty obsessed with commercials, but we're all kind of like, wow, I guess this shit really works. Messaging works. Yeah, and I, I think that that actually is a really important point. And, and if any, if nothing else, he's doing a really good job of running everybody against Trump or running Trump against Trump in a certain way. Before we talk about that, though, there's one that I've got to ask Andrew to play at least a part of. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard this yet. This You're is, obsessed. This is the number eight, the one that auto-tunes Trump. 
I liked what you wrote. You said, if this track were released as a single, there is a non-zero chance that it would chart. <laughs> um, and this is, a, this is essentially the story of the impeachment um, told, as told through Trump's cut-together words. Uh, kind of like, it's like, um, you know, it, it, this is a, a style of, vid- of internet video, of internet, you know, uh-huh. I don't know, song. Auto-tune the fake news? Yeah, it's like auto-tune the fake news, basically. And and it's, uh, but it is not, it's not an unjam. <laughs> okay, don't, don't play all three minutes of it. Okay, let's just take a listen to this. I'm Donald Trump. And in my own words, I just want to tell you what happened. I was being pitched. <laughs> I was being pitched. I was impeached for abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. I was impeached. I was impeached. I was impeached for abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. So what the hell happened? In 2019, I held up paid for hundred million dollars versus Russian state. All right, I think we got. I think we got a yeah. taste of that. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. You're right. There is a um, more than zero percent chance that that would blow up on the radio. <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to hit number one on the Hot 100, but right. like, that's got a decent chance, at least like between 80 and 100, to hit that chart. Um, I, you know, that one just I, I was. I really enjoyed that one, and, and actually what I really enjoyed about that and a lot of them, and what, what, if anything, softened me towards Bloomberg, was the case he makes against Trump. And I think mm-hmm. you make this point really well in the article, Justin, that he's at his best when he's not there, when he's not trying to woodenly turn around and say, oh, hello, I didn't see you standing there, you know? like. <laughs> but when he's when he's just letting Trump's, like, complete insanity on every front do the work for him i think it's compelling and i i do wonder like is that valuable to the democratic field just generally speaking yeah i think this is incredibly valuable and i think what bloomberg is doing it's sort of a twofold game i mean he wants to be president but more than he wants to be president he wants donald trump to not be president and he wants the people who have enabled donald trump to um, not remain in office. So a lot of the ads on the list, while nominally Mike Bloomberg for president ads, they are really just anti-Donald Trump ads, and uh, his shop is pushing them out with the sort of like in numbers and with production values that no other Democratic campaign at this point has uh, reached. So the effect that I think that this is starting to have and will continue to have is this as as this ad barrage continues, is just to sort of remind voters who might be, you know, dispirited by uh, the Democratic field or the sort of everything that's happened over these last four years of just how not normal the Trump era has been and just how important it is for people to go out to the uh, polls and, you know, vote the Democratic ticket uh, no matter who is on the ballot. So, you know, in a real sense, you can read Bloomberg's spending here as a massive and massively effective get-out-the-vote operation uh, for the Democratic Party, uh, predicated on just taking it to Donald Trump over and over and over again. I think there's real value in that, and I think it's effective. Yeah, I wish you had used, you know, all of this money and all this marketing power just to like help make these for the Democratic Party or you know yeah. or back a candidate that I prefer. Um, just to give a, a sense of this, um, I too wish that my preferred candidate had a gajillionaire backing. Yes, them. <laughs> exactly. Um, so just to to your guys's point, let me play this one, and I think this one ranked really high with you, if not number one. Bring presidential back. This is one where we use Trump's words intercut with the words of more respected presidents of both parties. Yeah, this was the uh, this is the top ranked ad for me. I think this is just a good, like a very good commercial. Um, it, you know, very sharply and effectively you know, compares and contrasts, uh, you know, the things that every other sort of like recent leader of this country has said and done with the uh, adverse things that Trump has said, and it's effective because. Uh, he doesn't just limit it to you know democratic presidents like Reagan's in there. I think Nixon is even in there, and um, it really illustrates um, how bad things have gotten. And it's a it's a real good spot. Ask not what your country can do for you. It was all. 
Ask what you can do for your country. Knock the crap out of them, would you? Their cause must be our cause, too. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and I wouldn't lose any voters. And we shall overcome. As soon as we left, they knocked the shit out of everybody. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. Americans are generous and strong and decent, not because we believe in ourselves. I like to punch him in the face. But because we hold beliefs beyond ourselves. Grab him by the The future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. This is the crap we have to put up with? Okay, I'm going to fade it out there only because, well, we're trying to respect your time. It's late on the East Coast, but also... I don't know how much Trump our listeners can possibly hear. We're going to have such bad numbers for the <laughs> downloads this, this episode. Um, Genevieve, don't mention anything about politics in the write-up of today's show, okay? Okay, I'll, I'll write around <laughs> it. Just say that we're doing more uh, Super Bowl coverage. Right. Um, you know, I mentioned dogs before. To go back to the really bizarre ones, I think maybe one of the most bizarre ones on my list is this dog's fur mic, and it's... It is dogs fur Mike is the hashtag, which I'm sure everybody's using. By oh, the way, it's I mean, trending. once you create something like that, everybody jumps on it. It's mad trending. Um, and well, I'll let you set this up. Um, what's going on in this one, Justin? God knows. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, some of their data says that they got to reach the dog voter demographic. <laughs> so you know, they went out and took a camera. Or maybe it's B-roll of you know just various dogs in New York City, and then dubbed human voices to the dogs as if the dogs themselves were in, in, uh, were uh, endorsing Mike Bloomberg, which mm-hmm. is something the dogs would never do because Michael Bloomberg is famously sort of wooden and awkward <laughs> around dogs, as evidenced by the thing we referenced earlier, where he met a dog on the campaign trail and tried to shake its mouth. Um, it's just. It, it did not resonate with me. Um, I don't know who it would resonate with. I think any real dog lover out there would sniff out the phoniness and naked thirst of this ad. But nevertheless, it exists. And there is probably someone out there who sees it and is like, huh, Bloomberg's a dog guy and these dogs need like him. Well, I should like him. Um, Justin, did you say sniff out on purpose? I mean, I just got to call yeah. you out on that. Yeah, okay. I, I, I definitely did. <laughs> make sure. All right, let's take a listen to this. Mike Bloomberg is the man to lead us. He will create more jobs. Mike's not afraid of the NRA, not one bit. Trust me, Mike will get it done. Yeah. <laughs> get it yes. done. Yes. He does not tweet. Oh. I like Mike. I like Mike. I lick Mike. What? I'm really fascinated by some I'm of the... I'm Mike Bloomberg's dog. I approve this message. I'm fascinated um, by some of the accents they decided to give those dogs. Yeah, I don't think... Can the British dog even yeah, vote? Yeah, can the British US dog even vote? <laughs> <laughs> that dog is a resident alien. The opinion is irrelevant. I'm sure. I hope you write another a follow-up piece on that. Find that dog, Justin. Get in here. Get in. Of that dog. Yes, Justin. We want to get to the very last uh, one on your list, but there is one that I have to. I have to have us play here. It's not a particularly interesting ad. Uh, you you did call it out. It's why Molly likes why Molly supports Mike, and you write. Um, it's not a sadly, it's not a crossover ad with the television show Mike and Molly, but instead an ad in which an old lady announces that she supports Bloomberg because he once sent her a letter. If that sounds to you like it would make a great Mike and Molly episode, well, I have got a spec script for you. Here's the thing that's crazy about this ad, this one to me. It's just an old woman kind of like blathering to the camera, no, some offense lady. Uh, about like I told Mike he should run for president and then he wrote me a nice letter saying he wasn't going to run in 2008 uh, but now he is going to run and he's got great managerial experience blah 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 the most hilarious thing about it is at the very end she goes my name is Mary and I support <laughs> Mike Bloomberg the whole thing is built around why Molly supports who the who the fuck is Molly <laughs> Molly couldn't make it. Molly, Molly said her friend. <laughs> she Mary. said her friend Mary. 
Do we have any answer to that? Really? I think they just got it wrong because they're doing oh these, every, like they're churning them out every half an hour. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm not going to, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Did I cut you off, Justin? I, I will say that like my sister, and this is absolutely true, her given name is Mary, but she goes by Molly. So oh. it is possible that, you know, this woman actually goes by ne- uh, Mary, but unaccustomed to being on camera, thought that she should be like, like unusually formal and gave her a given name. And then the social media team (laughs) like didn't like cross check. Yeah. Just went out with when Molly likes Mike, or it just could be some like different old lady. And like, they're so busy every 14 minutes, put out a new ad. No one matters. (laughs) No, I think it's just so like, yeah, it probably is something exactly like that. Like maybe her, her real name is Molly or she goes by Mary or whatever. But like, it was so funny to me to get to the end of that ad and hear like specifically call it out. My name is Mary. All right, let's listen to just the end of this thing. Dear Miss Loftus, thank you for the kind email of support. I appreciate your encouragement and continue in my abilities. I am proud to serve the people of the great city of New York. Because of his managerial experience, he is our best hope for replacing the current president of the United States. My name is Mary. I am here to support him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. So who cares? One and done. Yeah. On to the next one. Let's just move on. Um, So maybe we should just skip to the end of your list. What is your least favorite Bloomberg commercial? You know, I'll preface this by saying that, you know, there's, you know, different sorts of celebrity endorsements. There's, you know, the celebrity endorsement that, you know, makes you feel warm inside because you love this celebrity. You know, this person has given you, you know, countless hours of wonderful entertainment, and it makes you feel good to see that this person is supporting this candidate. It makes you want to support the candidate. And then you have Michael Douglas, <laughs> the sort of person who any rational political candidate would what God, you know, you know, the, the actor Michael Douglas, whom everyone loves, like, we got to get him on our team. Uh, Michael Douglas, known for playing jerks. I don't think there's ever been a movie in which he has not played someone who is a prickly jerk. Um, he endorsed uh, Bloomberg. And he might be the highest wattage endorsee that Bloomberg has. He's really neck and neck with Judge Judy. <laughs> um, but Judge Judy's endorsement was much better because Judge Judy came across as warm. <laughs> well, and I guess they like they wrung out they they got all the blood from the Mellencamp stone, right? Like they had like fifty million John Mellencamp ads. <laughs> they did, yeah. No, there's apparently a lot of John Mellencamp voters out there. Um, <laughs> But this ad is horrible, and like it's particularly <laughs> tone deaf because, you know, if you are, you know, world historical plutocrat running for president, trying to sort of dissuade the American voter from thinking that you are trying to buy an election with your untold wealth, thus completely reshaping uh, what it means to run for political office in this country, and to try to soothe people's fears that you are doing this in part for your own personal gain, you probably do not want to run an endorsement from the actor who in his most famous role, (laughs) famous for, you know, living out the motto, greed is good. And yet, Mike Bloomberg endorsed his ad, and here we are. Yes. Now, you mentioned, too. Mike Bloomberg should get one of those old-style 80s cell phones. Yeah, just do a commercial (laughs) where he's walking down the beach. Yes. Um, So I don't want to be ageist or, you know, base this too much on people's looks, but this is a visual medium, and, like, he comes out, you know, it's a quick commercial, maybe it's 30 seconds or so, and I'm pretty sure it was internet only, a Facebook uh, ad, but he really looks like a corpse. Like, the makeup on him is really rough, and he looks really... blotchy and just kind of sickly um and i'm he is a cancer survivor right and i'm again i'm not trying to beat him up because of the way he looks but there are things you can do if you're going in front of a camera here's what i don't understand to look better danson was spotted with the bloomberg button or something right yes yes you got ted danson yeah right potentially (laughs) um like america's bartender yeah 
Go get Ted Danson. America's sober bartender, too. Yes. I mean, what a role model. But anyway, I, I'm going to do something. I'm going to torture you, Justin, um, before we let you go, which is <laughs> you, were watching, you. you were watching all of these um, videos, but I want to play one that you probably haven't heard yet. So make this number 186, because <laughs> I have been um, obsessed with a podcast that I fell in love with a few weeks ago. Uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a sports radio show called The Dan Lebetard show and I've been listening to the podcast and in every episode I think maybe even every hour of every episode they have one Bloomberg commercial and the first one I heard was this commercial and I didn't know who it was and I really thought I Genevieve I came home and I told you about this commercial before we knew we were going to do this show I thought wow it's really weird that the Bloomberg campaign chose somebody who talks like this to be their spokesperson because maybe they're just trying to get like kind of the everyman vote and this guy just doesn't really, he's not that, he doesn't enunciate that well and it's a very strange voice and then at the end I realized it was Michael Douglas. Tell me if I'm totally wrong about this. Like when you don't know this is him and this just comes on in the middle of a commercial break. Ever been locked down? You know, suffered a setback, fired, left out. It happens. It happened to Mike Bloomberg. Middle-class kid, worked his way through college, got a job, started a family. Boom. Fired at 39. What did Mike do? What a lot of us do. We got back up, dove back in. He had an idea. Design a new computer able to crunch data and process information in a unique way. He built it. He sold it. He built more. He sold more. He built a team. He built a company. Created 20,000 jobs. Bloomberg is a doer. This is Michael Douglas. I played a president in movies. This is real world. This is our world. I hate that I played a president in movies line. Anyway, I don't know if I'm being oh cruel God, there. So <laughs> yeah. Do you think I'm being overly cruel? I think they should have started with his name near the top Hi, of the I'm commercial. Hi, I'm Michael Douglas. Then I'm kind of like, oh, that's why this voice is telling me this story. Yeah. It would completely transform that spot for the better if mm -hmm. it led with him saying, I'm Michael Douglas. To be clear, the actor Michael Douglas, not just some random old, you know, gravelly voiced dude who's, you know, swallowing his words while he's saying these things. They should even have him lean into like, in the 1980s, I said greed is good. But Michael Bloomberg is one of the greatest philanthropists our nation has ever known. <laughs> really trying to twist it around. Exactly. In the <laughs> 1990s, I was the protagonist of a game in the movie The Game. But presidency <laughs> is not a game. <laughs> okay, last question I for was, you. I <laughs> once had, in, on, in, the, in, a, in a movie, I once murdered Glenn Close. But you know who would never murder anyone? <laughs> Michael Bloomberg. But you know what's going to even be closer? This election. <laughs> Your vote counts. Okay. Bloomberg's spending a lot of money on ad advertising. I think maybe there's a financial opportunity for us here. For us to consult? Yeah. All right. Um, I know that it's not your job to write the headlines for your stories, or at least not often, but it does say in the headline that um, I, you, it says, I figured out what this campaign is trying to do after watching these 185 commercials. Is that true? What are they trying to do other than buy an election? Well, I mean, that is what they're trying to do, and I did not write that uh, headline. Okay. But I, I think the answer is, you know, both they're trying to normalize an objectively abnormal and, you know, broadly unappealing candidate. And I think they are trying to do, though, do that by literally trying to create ads that might reach as many imaginable subsets of people out there as, uh, as exist. And he's got the money to do so. He's got a functionally unlimited uh, budget, and he's not just trying to buy an election. He's trying to sort of buy people's brains. Mm -hmm. You know, he's trying to get people to forget that he has $61 billion and everything that implies and everything that he is actually trying to do uh, here and just try to see him just as workaday Mike or weird Mike or dog guy Mike mm -hmm. or hobnobber Mike, and it's worked thus far. This man has not been in a single debate. He hasn't competed in a primary or a caucus yet, and he's, you know, polling second to uh, Bernie Sanders in uh, one of the states. God, I forget which. Uh, and, you know, it's only going to, I mean, look, we'll see what happens at the uh, debate. He's a very sort of unappealing person in person so you know, we'll see what america thinks of him after that but even if he completely tanks at the debate he will be able to spend 
so much money on ads to completely make people forget about that and just see him as the image that his people are trying to create. Tom Steyer is like, yes, I'm going to look jazzy up there at the next debate (laughs) (laughs) next to this guy. Um, Justin Peters, I said at the beginning that you write for Slate, which I often call Slate Magazine because I'm still living in um, 2001. Uh, Is there anything else you want listeners to know? Where can they find you? Uh, you can go to my website. I don't know why you would. I don't update it. Uh, it's free, justinpeters.com. Uh, uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. It's Justin Trevitt, Justin, T-R-E-V-E-T-T. Um, yeah, and follow my work at Slate, uh, slate.com. It's a magazine on the internet. <laughs> it's a magazine on the internet. Do you mind if I ask why it's Justin Trevitt? Yeah, Trevitt's my middle name. Oh, and, gotcha. you know. Yeah, I don't know. I should have just, you know, grabbed Justin Peters back in 2007 <laughs> no, no. when I signed up for Twitter. It was surely available. <laughs> You're not on trial here. Thank you so much. That was so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. We we enjoyed your article, and we were so glad to have you on the show. Thanks for, for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me. I had a blast. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear words saying. Only the echoes of my mind. That was so much fun. He is the best. Yes, we got to get Justin on the show I, some more. You guys, that that article, we talked about a lot of it, but the uh, you, we couldn't get to 185 ads, but amazingly, he gets to a lot of them. He, he breaks down a lot of them, so I'll post that Slate article to the Facebook group. Yeah, and you can follow him on Twitter, too. Do it. I want him to think that we're super, super popular. Um, so let's get to some of yeah, these. Yeah, give him the ATM bump. That's right. Um, let's talk about some of these emails we received recently. I mentioned at the top of the show that we have a listener, Nate in Tacoma, Washington, who knows Roger Teeter personally. Now, how do you describe this device? Because I didn't even know about these commercials until you pointed <laughs> until them out. Until I became obsessed with them. Yeah. It is, um, it's essentially a, a stiff board that you hook into, and then it's on a fulcrum. I think I'm using that correctly. Uh, high school physics was a long mm-hmm. time ago, and it flips upside down, and you're, you know, hanging, you're strapped to it so you're not going to fall out, and it somehow really, you know, it, it takes the pressure off of your spine. You're like Batman in the 1989 movie where he's hanging That's from his ankles. your only reference point for someone hanging upside down. Yes. Well, yes. Sort of like that. Because bats do that. Except you don't have and to have the, the strength to put yourself in those ankle yes, cuffs. Right, exactly. So <laughs> I mentioned at the top of the show that an ongoing question for us is like, so is his name really Roger Teeter? Or did he change his name to Teeter when he decided to create something that's like a teeter-totter? Um, how did this all work out? And uh, listener, Nate, listener Nate, who knows him from church, says... I followed up on your question about Roger Teeter of Teeter Hangups by reviewing the unpublished personal memoir he'd given me a couple of years ago. So Nate did not ask him at church during prayer service (laughs) these questions, but he's got an unpublished personal memoir. Nate, you are sitting on... Gold, my friend. <laughs> uh, according to this, he says, the invention of the product seems to be a classic case of nominative... How do you say that? Nominative... Nominative determinism. Determin- <laughs> almost like so me. close. So close. Nominative determinism. Or the idea that people tend to gravitate towards areas of work that fit right. their names. The way Roger Stone became a geologist. Right. Exactly. Okay, so uh, back to Roger Teeter. His original job was designing and manufacturing skis and ski equipment. but And back then he went by as Roger Ski. No, that's not true. <laughs> Roger Skeeter. <laughs> okay, I made that part up. But after trying inversion therapy to recover from a skiing injury in the 1980s, Roger was inspired to design his own inversion table, hence the company and product that now bears his names. I guess you could say he just fell into it. All right, Nate. Who's the funny guy around here? <laughs> Get your own podcast. Um, according to nominate, nominative determinism. Nominative. Nominative determinism. Just, nope. <laughs> determinism. Uh, creating a teeter machine was his destiny all along. Thanks, as always, for a wonderful show. Um, Nate, and my apologies for not being able to pronounce anything. That's why I could never get on board with Presbyterianism. They're too uh, dependent on the doctrine of nominative determinism. I thought it was just because 
Presbyterianism is also hard to say. Yes, that's also why. <laughs> um, you and I, Genevieve, were talking quite a bit about the Lil Nas X uh, commercial with Sam Elliott for Doritos. It was a Super Bowl commercial with a couple of uh, teaser trailers that we that we love that we talked about. At the end of the actual Super Bowl commercial, after they have their little dance-off, we see a shot of Billy Ray Cyrus kind of laying in the dirt, playing guitar, and he says, I ain't dancing, after these two just had their dance-off. And uh, the in-joke is Billy Ray Cyrus was... You know, he worked with Lil Nas X for the radio remix of his song, but we thought it was a pretty stupid line. I can't. I, I talked about this both on TBTL and here with you. Um, it didn't jump out at me all, as super stupid. Really? I mean, it, it just was, seems so superfluous to me. I guess so. I mean, I thought it was like smart to have Billy Ray Cyrus in, you know, on as a as a little punchline, just his presence mm-hmm. being a little bit of a punchline. But but go ahead and read what Kevin says. Yeah, anyway, Kevin says that um, there's a little bit more context here. He says, uh, when you were talking about that, you didn't know why Billy Ray said, I ain't dancing. For us olds, that's a pretty funny line. Billy Ray's fame, I don't think this has to do with olds, by the way, because this would be my generation too. I I, just, we certainly know that he was yeah. famous for Achy Breaky Heart. Yeah, Billy Ray's fame came from Achy Breaky Heart, included a whole dance a la the Macarena because country line dancing was a resurgent thing as was the style at the time. It might have been the song that started the 90s line dancing craze. You can find some YouTube of the Achy Breaky if you really want to. I remember that. Um, So even though it's a throwaway line at the end to tie in another celebrity, it is pretty clever, says Kevin. What do you think? Well, I don't know that it's... I mean, I I guess it's some... I guess it's contextual that that that's in the the background, but I, I... don't know that it's especially a sh- uh, sort of a repudiation or a, or an ironic twist on his fame for the for Achy Breaky Heart. If I mean, his was song a- was famous for being a a line dancing song, but was he a famous dancer? I mean, it'd, be, it'd be like if you know, I mean, Michael Jackson. I realize is a problematic mm-hmm. example in a lot of ways, but he was famous for dancing. Yeah, right. right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If there was a famous interview or something where Billy Ray Cyrus was kind of like you know sheepishly saying, "I'm embarrassed that I created this line dancing craze and I don't dance" or something like that, but I, I don't, I don't feel like there's a direct line there, unless yeah. I'm missing a key. No, I, I, I think it's. I think you can make the argument, but I'm not 100 percent convinced. Um, okay, here's another one where uh, I'm going to read this visa and then I'm going to let you be the judge uh, because Eric says, all I could think of is, quote, everything is postmodern, <laughs> which is definitely my line. When I saw this McDonald's commercial during an XFL game, I don't know if the voice is supposed to be recognizable or not, but it definitely has a German philosopher vibe. And then at the end, the voice sings the jingle so haltingly. It's very odd, but pretty eye-catching. So again, this is a McDonald's commercial. It's for the Quarter Pounder. Um, and you'll hear the voiceover at explains everything and just know that while you hear this voiceover we just see extreme close-ups of a quarter pounder um being you know as it's being described look closely at the perfection that is the quarter pounder and you'll see it's actually made of countless imperfections those randomly and impulsively placed sesame seeds that one slice of melty cheese at the bottom and another draped haphazardly over the 100% fresh beef patty cooked right when you order. True, the hottest, juiciest quarter pounder yet is not perfect. But when you put it all together, <laughs> it's perfect. Made perfecter. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, what do you think? Well, is it going for like a Werner Herzog vibe? I, I, get I mean, that it's kind not. It's not a Werner Herzog impression. Mm-mm, no, it's not. And you could do one much closer. Yeah, you could yeah. do one that would be much closer. But it's like somehow pushing me in that direction. It's sort of with its mm-hmm. documentary style narration. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I mean, someone would have to sell me on the postmodern, postmodernity of it. Yeah, and again, I don't want to like have you know. You know I, how it I, is. I like, want, you know it when you see it. I don't want to be beaten up on our on our ad council by disagreeing with two of them in a row. <laughs> Um, We're going to lose our constituents. Yeah, I know. Um, I don't get... And Listen, I'm the guy... I call everything postmodern now. I call every commercial postmodern. I'm not quite getting the postmodern on that one. Definitely, like you said, Eric, eye-catching. And I actually think it's a pretty good commercial. Yeah, I mean, if there's there's an argument to be made for postmodernity, I think it's the idea of the imperfect... Perfection through imperfection. Mm. And I can sort of see that connection, right? Like, soda... That soda's just okay, you know? Mm -hmm. Um... 
or, or OK Soda, right? That was the yeah, that yeah. was the brand. Like I, I could see maybe making an argument that the the break breaking it down and, and in some ways like negging it mm. or or so in a way like oh it's these are random this is just slapped on there but then the whole is better than the sum of its parts that that might qualify um would you be interested i don't have it in front of me but i can have it in front of me here in a second eric by the way is the same person who we actually heard from last week who um works at the communications office of um the university oh, of Wisconsin was it the uh, newly endowed University of Wisconsin University Madison. of Wisconsin right yeah. um, that had the Super Bowl commercial I guess not dedicated. endowed but the, yeah, yeah they yeah. had the Super Bowl ad there was a um, and it wasn't their Super Bowl ad of course it was for WeatherTech uh, they the company WeatherTech always does Super Bowl commercials um, and this time they dedicated their commercial the founder did to um, the University of Wisconsin because they saved his dog's life right. basically so it was a tribute to them and I kind of wondered like could this have been an, even an idea that came from within and then they approached the WeatherTech CEO? Um, and Eric has a PS here to his um, just grossly incorrect postmodern McDonald's commercial. <laughs> uh, he says, That's Andrew's words. I was not privy to the creation story, but I think it was really the owner's idea, not ours. You're right. It would have been bold. It would have been a bold ask to make. Uh, and while donations did pour in, they did not equal the cost of the ad buy. Interesting. So sure, a direct donation would have been amazing, but they were going to buy a Super Bowl ad anyway. So this is still a huge win for us, and it'll probably have a long tail of goodwill and prestige for the vet school. I'm curious how much increased demand for treatment they're getting. Uh, thanks for reading my comment on the story. So anyway, I think that's really interesting. Yeah, that's fascinating to me, just uh, on a purely professional note. Yeah. Uh, all right, V, should we get out of here? Let's do it. You can sell anything. You can sell anything. Oh, what a fun show. Yeah, thank you again, Justin Peters, for coming on and sharing uh, your... And having lived through 185 Bloomberg ads. I don't know what That's that right. does to your, your brain grapes. And of course you can find him at the popular magazine that lives online, Slate.com. <laughs> uh, what else do we have to tell people? Um, I guess our email address? Yeah, you can email us at afterthesemessagesshow at gmail.com. You can visit us on the Facebook group where you can find Justin's article. Uh, it is the After These Messages uh, show group. On Facebook, and of course, you can always call us. It's been a while um, since I'm we heard in, since we heard any of your jingles. I'm just sitting by the phone, like staring yeah, at it. And by I'm the Google like, voice, people line. are uh, people are calling, like, "Hey, do you want to go out?" I'm like, "No, they're gonna call any minute. <laughs> any minute they're any gonna minute call. Any minute they're gonna call 607-444-5597. Again, that's six zero seven four 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 five five nine seven. We'll talk to you guys next week. My name is Andrew Walsh. And I approve this message. <laughs>